0: So turn turn in your Bibles to 1st John, all right? The book of 1st John, okay? So for those of you who maybe are new, what we do here at PVN College is we have a book of the Bible and we literally walk through it a few verses at a time and apply it to our lives because that's exactly what Jesus wants us to do is to walk through the Word and apply it to our lives and walk through the Word and apply it to our lives. So we are in 1st John chapter 2. Um, We're kind of in the second half of it. We're, We're in verses 15 through 24 tonight and maybe you know man this is so awesome I really want to catch up you can you can go to um the any podcast app on your phone and just search pvn college and you can find um the the last three weeks of where we've been okay so you can catch up if you need to get caught up but we're in first john chapter 2 verses 15 through 24 Okay? And right out of the gate, before we even get into it, it, we already can learn something, okay? Which is so awesome. So, 1 John chapter 2, the first half of the chapter, which we covered last week, focuses on what we are supposed to love, okay? We're supposed to love God. We're supposed to love our neighbor, all right? And the second half of chapter 2, which we'll focus on a lot of that tonight, tells us what we are not supposed to love, what we do not need to love, namely the world and the things in it. So right off the bat, before we even get into this, we can already learn something, okay? Love means embracing some things and rejecting others, okay? Love, by its very nature, if you love something, it pulls you in to bring in some things and to reject others others it has to mean that if you love breathing air then by definition you need to be against the belief that we don't need air to survive right if you if you i love air it's just awesome i have a poster of air on my wall it's great if you love air then by definition you'll have to be against this belief that we don't need it does that make sense so by loving something that automatically puts you against things as well my dad loves me and my sister and my little brother well, in fourth grade somewhere around there in fourth grade my little brother had to start changing to get ready for PE in the locker rooms right thank you public school and some kids were that's not a dig on public I went to public it's okay All right here we go so don't don't miss don't miss the that was my side road that was not that was my fault so anyway Russell has to start changing to for PE in fourth grade and some kids were making fun of him and when my dad found out about these other kids who were making fun of my brother, I thought he was going to put those kids into the wall, right? Well, well, that's not very loving, Ryan. Well, hold on. It's extremely loving for my dad to protect my brother. Does that make sense? Since my dad loves my brother, he's going to be vehemently against things that threaten him. Does that make sense? Anger is a part of Love. Anger is what happens when love is threatened. Anger is love pushing out, right? Um, because the nature of loving something means defending it when it is threatened. The very nature of loving something means defending that something when it is threatened and being against things that threaten it. We're supposed to love God and love our neighbor, therefore, when you love God, when you love your neighbor, it will twist in your heart and make you against things that threaten God, that threaten your neighbor. What threatens it? Well, let's look. First John 2:15 says this: "Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world. Now, hold on. Does that mean that we can't love creation? Does that mean that we can't love a good movie? We can't love Target? Target is amazing, right? Um, Target is awesome. We can't love a good book that maybe isn't about Jesus. We, we can't love that anymore. This is what this means. To not love the world. And maybe you've heard this phrase, right? We are, as Christians, we are to be in the world, but not of the world, right? We are to be in the world, but not of it. If you're a note taker, you may want to write down John seventeen sixteen. Jesus says this of his followers. John seventeen sixteen. Jesus says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now does this mean, now you're not, you don't need to be of the world. Does that mean that we're supposed to pull ourselves out of society? Just remove ourselves and live in our own little Christian camp by ourselves? No. One, we would drive each other insane, okay? Two, it's, it's not about where you are. That's part of John's point. It's not about where you are, it's about what you love. That's what he's saying. It's not about where you are, it's about what you love. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world, so don't love the world and the things in the world. Well, what's in the world? He's going to tell us. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So the lust or the desire, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride of life. Notice, these things that we are to not love... This is huge. We're going gonna, we're gonna like to break a lot of walls tonight, and I'm pretty pumped for it, so just like seatbelts, right? Um, these things that John says, let's look at it again. And, and your version may say desire instead of lust, which is perfectly fine. Um, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Notice these things that we are not to love. They're not really outside of us. He doesn't say, he doesn't point at something and say, don't love that. And point at this and say, don't love that. Desire is inside of us. The desires of the flesh, meaning the desires of humanity, the desires of people, are desires that we have in our hearts that do not glorify God. Lust, gluttony, quick to anger all the time. These are things inside of us that do not glorify God. It's not out there. It's not yet. It's not out there. It's in here that we have to start. We love these things. We love lust. We love feeling vindicated when you go on a tangent in your car by yourself about how right you are and how wrong everyone else is. We love that. That's the, That you feel it bubbling up inside you, the desires of the flesh, And then the desires of the eyes. Now here's where it cycles. Sinful desires from within see things on our phones or on our screens or in the world that satisfy those desires inside of us. So you have a desire inside of you that's not glorifying to God. You see something that fuels that desire. Your lust can start in your soul and be fueled by what you see on your phone. Or what you go looking for. Your anger can be fueled when you get on social media. Not that this happens to any of you, right? Your anger can be fueled when you get on social media and you go looking for people who just set you off. So the things of the world... and I can't understand my notes here. So the things of the world are an inside thing and an outside thing. You see that? It goes together. Do not love the world. This is you and the world. So you can't isolate yourself from the world because it's still, it's still you. Your desires are still the issue. And then the world, if you go looking for it, will fuel those desires, will keep them running, right? And then, So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Pride means arrogance. Life means things and possessions. So arrogance at how good you are at life. Does that make sense? Um... The self-importance you feel based on your status. Another way to just bring it down to street level is the desire to feel cool. The desire to be the most looked-at person in the room. The rush you get when you make that joke and everybody laughs and they turn out. There's nothing wrong with that, but like feeding into that, right? Being the most, wanting to be the most looked-at person in the room, that is a desire. The desire to be cool will alienate you from God so quickly. C.S. Lewis says, the guy who wrote Narnia and some other things, he says, pride is the only sin that makes Jesus say, get away from me. Think about that. Pride is the only sin that makes Jesus say, get away from me. He brought in the prostitutes and the drug dealers and the liars and the adulterers and et cetera, et cetera, but it was the prideful Pharisees that he says, I have no part with you this desire to be cool, we say all the time, and you and I do it, we say all the time, man, if Christianity in America can just get one cool person to be a Christian, then everybody will become one. Everyone will be desperate. We're so desperate to be cool. We, we, we got Tebow Yes, we got Kanye, did we though? Another sermon. Well we got and like everybody everybody just went nuts when we got Kanye. Every, old people. And I was like, you don't even know. You weren't there. Like everybody freaked out because because oh we got the cool person. Oh, did you hear Chris Pratt thanked God? Matthew McConaughey thanked God. Did you see the movie that he did with which he thanked God? Like we we're, we're so desperate. And I love those actors and those, and those musicians and et cetera. But look, we're so desperate to get someone cool. But the problem, what, look at what John is saying, though. The pride of life, the desire to be cool, is the most anti-God thing you can be. You cannot put them both together. When you're cool, being, the, being with the least of these is exactly what you don't want to do. And listen, I'm sure King David, I mean, King David like killed animals as a kid, like with his hands. It was crazy, like zoo animals. And like, I'm sure he was cool. I'm sure King David was awesome, right? It's okay to be cool. It's okay to be cool. But to love the spirit of being cool, you see what I'm saying? It's okay to be cool. It's okay to be popular. But to love the spirit of being cool puts you directly against what God wants you to do. Listen. There's nothing cool about washing people's feet. There's nothing cool about washing people's feet, which is why, church kids, if you remember, when Jesus washes Peter's feet, what does Peter say? You've got to stop doing this. You've got to stop doing this. And he's talking about being cool. Jesus, you can't lead a movement if this is what you're going to do. No one's going to follow you if this is what you're going to do. You've got to be cool to attract people. You're going to win people by being cool. Remember when Jesus says he's going to be killed? What does Peter say? No, no, you're not. You're not going to be killed. Well, well how does he know that? Why is he saying that? Because you can't lead a movement by, getting, by making yourself weak and dying. You can't lead a movement like that. You've got to lead with status. You've got to lead with influence. You've got to be cool. And what does Jesus call Peter? Get away from me, Satan. The spirit of being cool, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, they are totally against God. That's what this is talking about. You don't have to hate movies or fun, but we as Christians cannot give ourselves over to those things. Does that make sense? You, we cannot give ourselves over to the spirit of being cool. We cannot give ourselves over to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, because they are, verse 16, lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. They are not from God. They're not rooted in God, that's the key. It's okay to be cool, but to give as you give yourself over to being more influential and more cool, as often as you can, you start becoming slowly unhooked from caring about the things that God cares about. And you see it in movies all the time, right? The up and coming musician, blah, 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 becomes a famous rock star. And she forgets about her family. She forgets about her friends. she forgets. And you say like, oh, that's so stupid. That's never going to happen to me. It happens all the time. We get hooked into things that drag us away from God. It's okay to appreciate beauty. But as you obsess over that beauty, either lustfully or on yourself, you can feel it. I mean, you know, you can feel yourself being carried away from God. Don't love the world doesn't mean pull yourself out of the world. It means don't let the world carry you away. Don't let it carry you away. Notice also that these things are things that we desire. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the the desires of the flesh. The desires of the eyes. We desire, to desire is to what? Is to want something. God is saying, watch out for these bad things that you want. Watch out for being carried away by the things that you want. Okay? And this is why this is important. We desire bad things sometimes we do but our culture says if it's a sin then why do i desire it so bad if it's sinful then why do i feel this great pull which has led people to say well then i must be since i'm born this way it can't be sinful since i desire it so bad it can't be sinful but according to john that's exactly what's wrong We are drawn, all of us, same-sex attracted people are not the only people that get to say, if it's wrong, then why do I want it so bad? This is truth. We're all drawn to things that biblically we should not be drawn to. And John is showing us right here in this verse, just because you desire it. See, that's the justification. It must be right because I desire it so much. But John is saying, there are going to be things in this world that you desire so much, and they're going to drag you off. They're going to drag you away. We are wired to love, but in this sinful world, you and I are taken in to loving the wrong things. And here's the beauty of it, though. Listen, becoming a Christian is not walking an aisle and praying a prayer, and all of a sudden, you don't say bad words anymore or listen, or you only listen to Lecrae when you listen to rap, okay? That's not becoming a Christian, okay? Right? God doesn't just take you from doing the bad stuff to doing the good stuff. It's deeper. Notice, he talks about desire here. God reorders our loves when he saves us. He reorders our loves when he saves us. Did I say anything in there about behavior? He reorders our loves, and then behavior follows. That's part of what happens when He saves us. The things we used to love, the things that used to just draw us in hook, line, and sinker every time, they just don't taste the same anymore. That's what freedom in Christ means. It's not about, well, before I was a Christian, I did bad things. Now I'm a Christian, I do good things. It's about My soul was chained to these things. That's the incredible thing about what Jesus does when he saves us. He changes what we desire, sometimes slowly and sometimes immediately, and with different things. It's at different rates. Don't freak out if it's not all the way there. But notice, listen, John doesn't say, don't do these things. He says, don't desire them. That's different. That's deeper. Don't do this. You can fake that. You can fake that. But he says don't desire these things. That's where Jesus Christ reaches in to save you. Last week we talked about how the cross gives us the power to obey. This week the cross changes what you love. It changes your heart. It, there's a shift that takes place in your soul when Jesus takes hold of your life. And we work in community to help each other fight these desires in our soul. Verses 18 through 24. 18 through 24. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that Antichrist uh-oh, is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went away from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But since they went out, so that it would be shown that they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know... I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. Last one. You're doing great. As for you, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning... If what you heard from the beginning lives in you, you will also live in the Son and in the Father. All right, here we go. The word children is right there again, right? Children, and it'll come up later. Two things that this shows us. One, John deeply cares about the people listening to him. And this is huge because the Bible is not some old, hateful document that old white people just smash people with. But that's what everybody thinks it is that's your age. And that just shows that they haven't read it. John calls these people children. And we're going to get into why he does that later on in just a minute. But these are big issues that we're about to get into. (laughs) Antichrist was used three times. We're going to talk about that. John doesn't just want to pop people with this stuff. He wants to walk them through this. You can't just lob this out onto a little kid. You got to hold their hand and sit with them and talk to them and show them. That's what John wants to do here. He loves these people. And secondly, Children in John's letters usually shows that he's starting a new section. Okay, so just if your brain works that way, just know that he's starting a new section when he says the word Christian. Let's talk about the Antichrist. Yes, here we go. Um, not about the Antichrist. You get it. All right. So John says here that we are in the last hour. He says that twice in verse eighteen. Okay, we are in the last hour. The phrase. Last days, the last days, and if you did Sunday school with us and went through Revelation, you're going to be a little ahead of the game here, but the last days are not just like the last couple of years of, we're going to really break some barriers so we can talk after, so just hang with me. Um, The last Don't base it on the left-behind books, okay? Cool? Um, They're page-turners, but not theologically my favorite, all right? The last days can actually be traced all the way back to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, which is right after Jesus ascends into heaven, he starts calling it, we're in the last days. According to the Bible, the last days is not this little couple of years at the end where where the mountains flip upside down and there's fire and blood everywhere. The last days is the church age. The age of the church. The last 2,000 years. As soon as Jesus ascended into heaven, all that's left to do is for him to come back. Does that make sense? And that could be any time. There's nothing left to do in the big story until Jesus is done saving people, and then he's gonna come back. That's all that's left to do. We are in the last days. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. That's all that's left in history. Today, we are closer to Jesus coming back than we were the day before. And while we wait, we are not waiting on one specific antichrist, okay? Sorry, it's not Obama, it's not Donald Trump, which is, it's not Elvis, it's not like Oprah, like these are theories, like these are real things. It's not, it wasn't Ronald Reagan, it's not, it's not any of these people. We're not waiting on one specific person. By the way, the word antichrist is never used in Revelation, by the way, which is all about the end times, which was also written by John, same guy, which should tell us something, He doesn't use Antichrist in Revelation when he's talking about the end times. Listen, he uses it in 1 John when he's talking about the church standing firm, which is exactly what we're doing today, which which shows that this end times language, this Antichrist language, applies to you and me. It sits the end times right in our lap today, right now. Look at verse 22. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. The one who denies the Father and the Son. The one who denies Jesus is an Antichrist. Literally, to deny Christ. Any agenda that puts the things of the world above the things of God is against God. Antichrists are ambassadors of the things of this world. Ambassadors of the things of this world. Those are antichrists. People who preach that you don't need Jesus because God saves everybody. People who are militant extremists who hate Christians. People who try to pass legislation that destroys marriage or hurts children or oppresses the poor people who are abusive and who cover up abuse. The list goes on. Any agenda that pushes the things of the world before the things of God is an anti-Christian agenda led by anti-Christs. That's what John's talking about, which means that you and I can fall into this category. This isn't something that we can tune out because it's not going to happen for a 1,000 years. We are against God when we represent or push things that are against God. This makes the Bible relevant to us right now. How we live, what we love, who we worship matters right now. Look at 19 and 20. 19 and 20. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so that it would be shown that they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, and you all know. Remember, in 1 John, the big problem this church is having is that they have had a massive split, okay? The people who have split, who have left, believe this false doctrine about Jesus that he couldn't possibly have been human. He had to have just been pretending to be human or fake human which we'll get into later and we talked about a couple weeks ago but just so you know that's wrong obviously and they've split away from the church and these people are standing firm but that's hard so John writes to them and he's talking about the people who have left and John is telling us those who fade away from the faith were never truly converted to begin with those who they are not of us and they left to show that they were never of us They were never of us. Here's the only example that I could figure out, and it's not a great example, but just like, don't be like, well, technically, just roll with me, okay? You know, maybe you get, maybe a guy tries to sell you concrete, all right? Just come on. A guy tries to sell you concrete, and he's like, it'll last for 20 years. It's going to last for 20 years. You're not going to notice any, no cracks, no, you know, it's not going to fade. It's going to be awesome. 20 years. It's going to be awesome. And then by like year 10, it's all like faded and cracked and it's, it wasn't the real thing. Well, you find out later that it wasn't actual concrete. It was this like synthetic blend. You can tell it's not the real thing because it doesn't last. That's, what John, that's, that's John's point here. You can tell it's not the real thing because it doesn't last. That's what's happening here. And this is so important to be a Christian is to endure in Christianity. To be a Christian is to endure in Christianity. You can tell she's the real thing because she endures in the faith. Because he endures in the faith. How many people do you meet who say, oh, I'm a Christian, but I haven't been to church or cracked my Bible in 15 years? John would say, "No, you're not." And this happens in church all the time. I see this all the time. People are here and they're fired up for like a month or a year. And then they're gone. They just quit coming. And this I'm not talking about they go to a different church. That's fine. But they just check out. And listen, It's not laziness. Oh, they're just lazy. They don't want to get up. Laziness in this situation is the fruit. But bad doctrine is the root. Okay? Oh, they're just being lazy. No. Laziness is the fruit. Bad doctrine is the root. It's the wrong doctrine. The doctrine that Jesus isn't important. The doctrine that, well, I don't really need to be a part of the body of Christ to be a Christian. I don't really need a Christian community to, to help me in my faith. That's a doctrine. They may not call it that. They may not even subconsciously realize that's what they're doing, but that's a doctrine. Remember, John cares about doctrine, not because he's some bookworm, and I'm trying to bore you to death by saying doctrine 80 times, but because doctrine matters. You have doctrine. Whether, you give, whether you've never touched a book in your life, or whether you read all the time, you have a doctrine. You have a belief about Jesus. People who who quit going to church, that's based on their doctrine about Jesus. They don't think they need him. Doctrine is one of the ropes that connects your soul to Jesus, that keeps you connected to him. So how do you apply this to your lives? Well, first of all, first one, listen. Hang on. Hang in there. In a culture that wants to pull you away from the faith by sin or just by entertaining you to death and numbing it out of you, hang on. But remember, it's not just the lust of the eyes. It's the desires of the flesh, too. Your own body... Being a Christian is like the trippiest thing in the world because literally your own body is working against you. Does that make sense? Romans 7, Paul says, the thing that I want to do is the thing that I don't do and the thing that I don't want to do, I do. He, I mean, he's going crazy. Well, he's also a Christian, right? Get help. Ryan, th- this part of the Bible that talks about gay people, I don't agree with it. I don't like this. And, if I can't, and, and I can't stay in a church that would support what this Bible says about same-sex attraction. I can't support that. Well, then let's. We need to meet, and this is just an example, but like we need to meet and talk. Or we need to get you some books and some help so that you can understand this better and stay in the faith. I don't like what God did to Job. That's ridiculous. Why would you do that? Well, then we need to talk about Job. We need to help you with the things that you can't break down so that you will stay in the faith. Maybe you're suffering right now, maybe you're suffering. We need to get you comfort and help so that you don't turn your back on God. Because there's more at stake here than just not going to church. So hang in there and get help, but listen, here's the other thing too. Don't just hang on, but listen for some of you, come back. A lot of us come to and and, and let's just walk through it a little bit. A lot of us come here on Thursdays and I want you here. This is awesome. I love when this place is packed. But some of us have come on Thursdays, or we go to different places on Thursdays, but we've never actually joined a church. We've gotten in, we, we've never gotten involved on church in in a church on Sundays, to to just plug in and just receive or to help, to be a part of the body of Jesus. It's not just this is what you're supposed to do. Here's your awana medal, blah blah blah. That's not what that is. Those are fine. Those are good. But but your soul is at stake here those who left us proved they were never really of us stay in and listen and and come back and it's not too late it's not too late because literally he's god all right he could have had you anywhere tonight there are way more different there are way different things to do on a thursday night in college than come to church okay but he's got you here you're not here because your friend brought you or because you got the text message. Those are fruits. The root is because God wants you here. And he's got you here listening to a sermon, listening to songs that say, all my life you've been faithful. He's trying to remind you of this. It's not just a catchy hook. It is. But he's using that to say, look, hey, I'm, I've been here the whole time. Come back. 20 through 22, 20 through 22. We're almost there. You guys are doing awesome. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you all know I have not written to you because you do not know the truth but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. John is comforting these people. I'm not writing to you because you don't know the truth. You do know the truth. These people, now think about it though, these people have watched family members leave. The church has split because they've believed in a false Jesus. Can you imagine how hard it would be to, and some of you know this, to lose family members over belief in Jesus. Marriages called off because one spouse believed something false about Jesus and the other spouse begging them to stay, but they closed the door. Imagine how hard that would be. That's why John calls them little children. They're hurting, man. And he loves them. He says, you have been set apart by God. God has saved you, so God will hold you. God's the one who saved you, so he's going to hold you. Your circumstances didn't save you, so your circumstances won't take you away from him. Your money didn't save you, so losing all your money is not going to take you away from him. He's going to hold on to you. Also in 23, you can't say that you love God if you want nothing to do with Jesus. Look at 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. You know people like this in your life. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's this idea of, oh, I love God. God is awesome. God is the man. He's so cool. Yeah, but have you given your life to Jesus? Well, I think we can all worship who we want as long as we love God. Well, according to John, you don't love God if that's what you think. The Jews who claimed to know God but they hated Jesus. What does Jesus say in John 8:19? If you knew me, you would know the Father also. Jesus is the only way to God. It's about what you do with Jesus. Last one, verse 24. As for you, Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. This is huge. If what you heard abides in you. It's a nice like Shakespeare, SAT. If what you hear abides in you. In other words, if what you were taught... By the apostles, by this book, if what you were taught abides in you, then Jesus lives in you. What does it mean? If it, how, how can what you hear live in you? If it affects the way you live. If, it affects, if this book affects what you love. If this book affects makes you want to fight your bad desires notice that if this book makes you desire to fight against your bad desires that's how you know Jesus has taken control of your life this is why this is why we have a book table this is why I don't ever shut up about books over and over again because this is why we have uh, out of our college budget We spend a quarter of it on books and keeping that table full. Because when you hang up a string of lights, you can't usually just use one thumbtack. It's not enough. You need multiple hooks along the way on the string so it will endure, so it will hold up. Multiple hooks along the way. That's what books are. They help us believe and continue believing. I'm doing great with Jesus and, oh, I don't know what to do about this. Let's talk. I'm sure there's a book about that, And obviously we want to talk about it too. But doctrine is important. What you heard affects what you believe and that your doctrine determines your soul. That's why it's so important. So keep going keep enduring in the faith. Stay with it. Yes, keep coming on Thursday nights, but find a church to plug. It doesn't have to be PVN. I hope it is, but it doesn't have to be. Find a place, a body of Christ that loves the Bible and plug in there. And for some of you, that just means attend. Attend regularly. That's all you got to do. Old people love college kids. You're going to be like so popular. It's going to get like it's going to get weird. It's going to get kind of weird for a little bit. And then, and then you'll get used to it and it'll be okay. But, like, I'm telling you. And, like, college kids plugging in. High school kids. Like, think about when you were in middle school or high school, how cool a college kid was to you. Like, they were gods, right? They just were. They were awesome. And you know now, college kids really aren't that cool. They're not that great. But listen, listen. They don't know that, okay? <laughs> they don't know that. So, j- listen. Jump in at a at a church and say, look, I'd love to help out with a small group with middle schoolers or high schoolers. They're gonna think you're the, the greatest there's the confidence boost you need, right? It's gonna be awesome. And and I'm and I'm telling you this because like it's there, man. It's ripe for the taking and we need you guys ten years from now, you're the tithers, you're the deacons, you're the elders. You guys are next. And why not plug in now to get in there now? And also, more importantly, I'm not trying to like end it on like a, ugh, Ryan, but like guys, your, your soul is at stake. You have a soul, and it matters. And Jesus knows that, so he told John to write a letter to these people saying, endure, hang with us. So keep going, or come back, Bring your broken des- I have all these desires of the flesh. Bring them to Jesus. And let's help each other as Jesus helps us endure in the faith. Let's pray together.